there is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in Welcome to the first ever bonus episode of Balm and Gilead. When Grant and I recorded our episode three, we ended up with a two and a half hour long episode. Went a little longer than anticipated. Uh, and so instead of dumping all of it on you at once, we decided to break it up into two smaller bites. The first part of it that you're about to listen to is the uh, it was supposed to be the icebreaker conversation where we talked 20 minutes about some sort of current event and it turned into an hour-long conversation about deconversion and about um, celebrity pastor celebrity music minister and also celebrity conversion uh, specifically about kanye and uh at that time that we recorded this the story hadn't quite fully unfolded as it has now and uh i do go ahead and apologize and say that i'm going to eat some of my words that i say in this conversation that I do think that this is probably a legitimate conversion and I at least should be gracious enough to treat it as such until uh, such a time as, uh, as as if he does have a deconversion, which I honestly pray he doesn't. This seems like a legitimate conversion and I'm very happy to call him my brother in Christ as of right now. So uh, next week we will release the rest of the conversation, which is the official episode three of Balm and Gilead, which is a continuation of our outline that we have been talking about. Um, until then, though, I hope that you enjoy this candid conversation, and I do hope that you return to us next week to continue our uh, our talk. All right. Welcome back to A Balm and Gilead. Uh, I am Brian, and Sitting and I'm Grant. Sitting 500 miles away from me to my left is Grant, and so uh, we are happy to be back uh, for you. It's been about two weeks for Grant and I. It's been quite a bit longer. Uh, so I just wanted to to share with you guys just just for a little bit uh, some of my personal journey that's been going on. Uh, in the first episode, uh, I said that my wife was at the hospital with one of my girls. And uh, at that point in time, uh, my youngest daughter, her name is Kit, she'd been in the hospital for about a week and a half to two weeks. We thought she was going to be coming home really soon. And uh, she's still there. And it's been about six and a half weeks since we recorded last. Um it isn't something that is incredibly surprising. She has a heart condition that will need open heart surgery. And uh, we were planning on that surgery happening in November in uh, San Francisco. But uh, 
couple days ago, she kind of had a turn. And so she is actually not going to be safe to transfer anymore. So that's been something that's, uh, you know, this, her whole journey has kind of kept us from being able to record. But at the same time, you know, we, uh, our short-term plans have completely done a 180. We're now going to have the surgery in St. Louis. We feel very comfortable about that. And, uh, things, things are going to be good. She's going, she's in very good hands. Uh, surgery is going to be a lot sooner than anticipated. Uh, all that said, uh, I've spent all of my free time up at the hospital and not recording a podcast. You know, some would say I need to get my priorities straight. Um, but I think that you all can forgive the absence and the pushback from the original release. I think there's a whole four people that are excited to, for us to release this at the moment. And so, uh, they've been very, uh, been very gracious to us. That said, um, the opening of this episode, we're going to read from a letter that was written, kind of an open letter that was written. uh, Now it's been a few months since this came out, so it's a little bit of old news. So I kind of wanted to just share some of my story because I I hope that you guys care about me by by now. But also I wanted to kind of say, this is why we're reading an old news story. it was brand new and we decided to do it and we've had some delays. We had a tornado, we had hospital visit. And so now we're here, we're here and I'm very, very happy about Hello. that. Hello. Um, yes. And so just think back to just a few short months ago when Joshua Harris very, very publicly announced that he was getting a divorce and that he was kissing Christianity goodbye and uh, making a lot of waves very publicly, uh, confusing a lot of people. Um, in the wake of that, there was a guy from Hillsong who kind of did the same thing, and it was very confusing, and no one really knew what was going on. And uh, so all that said, uh, there's a guy named John Cooper who... Uh, wrote an open letter uh, to you know both uh, Joshua Harris and this uh, this guy Marty Sampson from Hillsong. He didn't call them out by name, but everyone at the time knew who he was talking about. And uh, he said some really really interesting things in this letter. You can find it on Facebook if you probably by now if you just Google John Cooper skillet you were probably sent it by that one friend and you know who i'm talking about yeah and if you don't know who i'm talking about well you already know that this letter exists that is true so that said you've probably already read this it's this is old news if you haven't read it you should go check it out john cooper is the lead singer of a band called skillet uh skillet they are a Christian kind of rock band. They're very big in pyrotechnics and uh, I don't really like their music, but the, what? but the fact that they're making it is something to be respected. Um, have you never been to a skillet concert? I have been to multiple skillet concerts because they were from Memphis, Tennessee and we lived 45 minutes from Memphis, Tennessee. And so when they were brand new, they did a lot of really small town shows and they didn't remember any of the lyrics of their songs. And it probably gave nice. me a really bad first impression. 
but yeah. Also, anytime I hear their song, um, I don't remember what it's called, but it's like something about fire and burning. I always see Tobias Funke rolling around on the ground during his fire sale audition when it's <laughs> screaming, it burns, it burns, it burns. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let that bleed in your eyes for a little bit. Um, Man. I am a proud owner of the comatose uh, CD album for you kids out there. This is a, a small silvery disc that we bought when they wouldn't sell something called a tape anymore. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, ask your parents. And a tape for all of you kids out there that don't know what that is. This is a magnetic strip round wound tightly over two kind of rollers that they made after they stopped making eight tracks. Huh? So uh, now that we are like the podcast to go to for all your audio receptacle needs, um, I think we should dive into the letter. I think we should as well. Um, I'm going to read some portions of it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. If you want to read the whole thing, oh, we're, we're going to link it in the show notes. But uh, also, if you don't look at show notes, you can Google John Cooper. Uh, I don't know. Probably, that's probably all you need to, to Google. Facebook. Let's face it, Facebook that's what letter. we're going to do too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this is just quoting from his letter. It says, Okay, I'm saying it. Because it's too important not to. What is happening in Christianity? More and more of our outspoken leaders or influencers who were once, quote unquote, faces of the faith are falling away. And at the same time, They are being very social and bold about it. Um, He writes a little bit more. I'm going to skip down just a little bit where he says, um, my conclusion for the church, uh, all of us Christians, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or quote unquote relevant people, the most influential people in Christendom. And yes, that includes people like me. Uh, I've been saying for 20 years, and seemed uh, pretty quite judgmental for, to some of my peers that we are in danger, or we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20 year old worship singers as our source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teaching of the word. I'm not being rude to my worship leader friends, many who would agree with me, in saying that singers and musicians are good at communicating emotion and feeling. We create a moment and a vehicle for God to speak. However, singers are not always the best people to write solid Bible truth and doctrine. Sometimes we are too young, too ignorant of Scripture, too unaware, and too unconcerned about the purity of Scripture and the holiness of the God we are singing to. Uh, Have you ever considered the disrespect of singing songs to God that are untrue of his character. And uh, I'm going to read his, uh, his closing statement just a little bit, but this is an incredibly relevant piece that, uh, that our podcast is about. Um, and, I, and I think that he said it so well, so eloquently, that the church has created this culture where uh, songs... Are, have become the primary vehicle for uh, for gospel truth, and so many of the songs don't contain the gospel or truth. 
And so we are singing these songs to God and we're disrespecting his character and calling it worship. And, uh, and that is essentially why Grant and I wanted to do this podcast in the first place. It, it does create a very scary world for, uh, for our Christian brothers and sisters and it's uh it just makes things very difficult for us. Uh, and I'm gonna read his closing statement, and then we can talk more about it. But it says, uh, "Brothers and sisters in the faith all around the world, pastors, teachers, worship leaders, influencers, I implore you, please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture." by stifling inconvenient truths, but rather let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God, for he changes not. And then he quotes from Isaiah 40, uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. And that, that's uh, verse eight. Um, so we, we just wanted to talk about this just for a little bit uh, before moving on to our main topic. But he, he says in this letter that uh, he believes essentially that people are walking away from the faith because they have been given a very shallow, sandy foundation. And a lot of that is based on um, the worship songs sung in church. And so I just wanted to just kind of talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, let's consider the line. Have you ever considered the disrespect of singing songs to God that are untrue of his character? And I guess for me, um, I, you know, I didn't start doing that until you and I were starting to converse. This was years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I never really stopped to think about, well, if we're singing it in church, it's ought to be good. And honestly, I think what Mr. Cooper here is saying and what what we're saying is, yeah, that that ought to be the way it is, um, because those ministers are placed there by God to help keep the church from error um, through, uh, you know, their knowledge of Scripture and their knowledge of error, and they're there to protect the flock. Right. Yeah, and uh, you know, all this, you know, this our relationship going moving toward this podcast really started when uh, I wrote an essay posted on Facebook about the song Reckless Love. And uh, we will have an episode where we dive deep into that song and where we look at it line by line. But, you know, just from, you know, what I consider to be an obvious uh, standpoint is God is not reckless. Uh, that, I've yet, I've yet to hear any defender of the song actually say that they believe that God is reckless, uh, which is just, which is baffling to me. Um, to say that God is reckless is an incredible disrespect to His character and uh, disrespecting His name, which is a violation of the third commandment, which is you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Uh, that there's a, you know, kind of a two part side to that commandment. One. You shall not use God's name to be to be less than who he is. But you shall also not ascribe something that is less than who God is to his name. 
Um, and to say that God is reckless and that his love is reckless is an incredible disrespect to his name. And, uh, and I, I've, I've talked with people about that and man, people just get so connected to the emotionalism of that song and they get connected to the actual truth statements that are in the song, which are true. And they justify the amazing, you know, disrespect of God's name because of all of the truth that surrounds it. And they, they justify it saying, oh, well, it means this. Oh, well, it means that. But it doesn't. It's disrespect to his name and it breaks the third commandment and we shouldn't sing it, period, because God is not reckless. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that struck me further on, we didn't read this part, but he says, brother, you are not that unique. He's talking in that particular section to uh, the Marty Sampson, I believe, yeah. uh, where he was saying, uh, how could a God of love send people to hell? No one talks about it as if he is the first person to ask this, you know? Like, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Marty Sampson, but you are not that unique. That is perhaps one of the places where we've kind of gone off the rails is the modern church. And we try to look for all these ways that we can, bring uniqueness to God as if that's what he's asking for. Uh, or really, I think it's, we want to be unique because somehow we think through our own efforts, we're going to somehow bring people uh, into church. And yeah. if we could just do that, you know, yeah, if we can just make the worship a little bit, you know, spruced up here, then people will want to uh, participate. People will want to, uh, you, you know, uh, come and, 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 you know, become a Christian or something like that, you know? Yeah. And there was a, there was a study that was done years ago now, and I'm sure that a similar one would yield similar results. Uh, but this is something that we talked about in seminary. Um, there's like this, this study that was done where there was a, a questionnaire sent out to people who had just become members to churches. And this was, I think, across denominations across the country. And so people who had just signed up to be a member of a church, they were given this questionnaire and it was about like, what do they look for in church? And uh, questions like, you know, what, what are your top priorities? Like, what do you look for most in church? Different things like music style was one, preaching style was one, preaching content, musical content, community, you know, just a bunch of different things, you know, everything that you could think of. And uh, they one of the questions was, uh, is this the first church you've ever been a member of? Yes or no. And so uh, they kind of broke up the, the results and they found that the number one reason that people were joining a church for a second or third time, so like that people were changing churches, was for musical style. But the number one reason why people were joining their very first church was the content of the preaching. And, and mm. in that, uh, in that for the people that were just becoming church members, um, musical style was like number eight on the list, like way down. It might've even been past 10, but it was not one of the top priorities. It was, it was just, they answered it because it was on the survey. That's yeah. That's interesting, especially considering what really should be is, are the sacraments being administered properly? Right. 
are is the preaching biblical? Uh, is it biblically based? Uh, are people being uh, taught and from all over Scripture and not, you know, from one particular uh, one one particular kind of uh, topic or something like that? Right. Um, is everything co- uh, covered? And that's so. I'm kind of sorry to hear that, but at the same time brother you are not that unique i mean like and what's interesting about that too is marty sampson isn't that unique um you know it's not like he's just like oh i'm the first person to ever think about this it's like no not only are you not unique like right now in 2019 you're not unique now in the 2000 years since christ uh came to earth i mean you know, he's so the, the church itself has been wrestling with this. Uh, well, he even says it. the yeah. church has wrestled with this for 1500 years. Literally, everybody talks about it. Yeah. And I mean, you could even argue that people that were around during the, the final canonization were struggling with this. And there's answers in scripture that are specifically there to combat things like this. You know, yeah, the, the, uh, I mean, the book of Job. Perhaps yeah, the book um, of Job comes to mind. Um, I mean, even several psalms, several psalms. I mean, even like you know, in Thessalonians, they were talking about you know, where do you go when you die? Like that was something that was that they were struggling with. You know, if you died before Jesus came back, you know, there was a truth or there was a doctrine floating around that if you died before Jesus came back, then you're just gone. And so that's when Paul said, "No, those who are buried in Christ will rise first. Uh, you know, so people have been struggling with the, the concept of afterlife since forever. I mean, David didn't even have a full understanding of what happened after death. They they talked about going down to Sheol. And so they they weren't even 100 percent sure of of you know what happened when they died. So this is definitely this is something that has been wrestled with, not just by the church, but by all humanity since the dawn of time. And so every single person who's ever lived has raised the question of where do I go when I die? And ultimately, if it's not to heaven, then how can God love me? And how can God love anyone? I mean, it's, yeah, he's not that unique. And if his faith is going to be swayed by that, then he's a very, very weak Christian indeed, if he is at all a Christian. And, uh, and there's way, you know, harder things to wrestle with than, you know, why does a loving God send people to hell? You know, Romans nine explains that pretty well. And so if you want to go read Romans nine, you can understand why God would send someone to hell. And it's simply because, you know, God is sovereign and he does. That doesn't mean he's not love. He is love. Uh, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And who am I, the lump of clay, to look at the potter and say, you know, why did you make me a vessel for destruction? You know, it's it's there. I mean, we've been we've been wrestling with that. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it, it's it's crazy though how our songs are so saturated with God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love that they don't talk about anything else. Right. Yeah. I actually, I counted like 
what were all the songs that we sang at the last church, uh, last uh, Sunday at church. And uh, like five of six songs or something like that were all about God loves me and uh, said in different ways. And how many ways can I say that uh, I love you? <laughs> you know, the song I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's like, well, you've named like three things, but um, there's a lot more than that. You're right. So it, it kind of felt to me like my, you know, when I would come home to my wife and I say, man, I just love you so much. And she said, why? And I would just say, you know, well, just because, you know, and um, she's like, that's not a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if that's the same way with God, you know, is, is it just sort of like, or at least in that song, it's just like, here's, here's a few, you know, few little ways that, that uh, God, you know, that w why we love God, but at the same time, it's, um, it's, I, I don't know, it's a little bit unclear of from, from scripture. Like, let me say it this way. It, it shows that you don't, read the Bible in depth because you're not saying things like, Oh man, he punishes the wicked. That's yeah. that, that one, that line is not in the song. Um, although I think that is a reason that we can say that God loves us. Yeah. And it, he lovingly restores us uh, to himself. I mean, that is pretty amazing. I mean, you consider the offense that we've all as humans committed against God and yet he's chosen to save. Right. And uh, I, I just don't get that depth from some of these songs, but we're, we're getting a little bit far afield, I suppose of that particular thing. I was hoping that I could move to a different line Yeah, uh, where it says where, where John Cooper writes. And lastly, and most shocking in my opinion, as these influencers disavow their faith, they, always end their statements with their new insight, new truth. That is basically a regurgitation of Jesus's words. And yeah, they do because they are essentially trying to justify their own religion. Yeah. They are just, they, they, they are writing their, their declaration of independence from Christianity, but yet they cannot escape the words and the language and the ideas of Christianity. And yeah, that's hardly unique to them. Um, you know, people have done that for a long time where they try to say that, Oh, uh, I'm not going to be a Christian. I can't possibly do that, but I like these things of Jesus. And they try to, again, it goes back to this desire to try to be unique and, they, they try to kind of take what they want from Jesus's words and leave the rest that they don't agree with him. Yeah. People have done that for, for centuries. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, that is actually, you know, a, an incredible violation of the second commandment, which is right. you shall not create any images and you shall not bow down to them and, and, and worship them to say, I'm going to ignore what Jesus said here and I'm going to completely disavow myself from all of Christianity, but I am going to pick this one tiny aspect of Jesus, and I'm going to worship that. That is an incredible uh, breaking of the second commandment. And uh, I think 
I think so many people, especially in today's culture, they probably couldn't even tell you the Ten Commandments. Uh, they probably could remember a few of them, and they, they might get some of them out of order. But um, you know, most people don't even think of them as something that that pertains to us anymore. Um, and and I think that's that's something that is is very struggling as well. You know, how can you? Uh, you know, how how do you write a song to God, especially if you don't believe the Old Testament is relevant anymore? You know, you're going to ignore the Psalms. You're going to uh, to ignore the second and the third commandments that that warn you of, of, against you know misusing His name and against creating a Jesus that isn't actually Jesus. And uh, and you're going to come up with with songs that just don't make any gospel sense because they are all about emotions and and they throw truth to the wind. Yeah. Michael Kruger, uh, who's the president of Reformed Theological Seminary in North Carolina, uh, wrote a article uh, about a, almost two years ago now uh, about when Jen Hatmaker mm-hmm. uh, kind of left the faith and uh, wrote a story about the power of deconversion stories. It's not enough just to leave Christianity. You have to try to evangelize uh, your, your leaving, uh, set up your own declaration of independence of why you're leaving to try to get people to follow you in some way. And I, I don't know, I thought it was really helpful in, especially in light of the Joshua Harris and the Marty Sampson uh, so we'll link to that in the show notes, yeah. but that's one thing that I immediately thought of is like, Oh, this is, this is just them doing their deconversion story. Yeah. Uh, they feel this need that if they don't, you know, they don't evangelize and take other people with them. Uh, it's almost like a way for them to legitimize what they have done. Yeah. In my mind. And, uh, in, on a, I guess, less serious and more satirical note. Um, you know, there was very shortly after this, this letter came out and after, especially Marty Sampson, um, did his deconversion, uh, the Babylon Bee that did an article on it where they actually called Marty. It's my favorite news source. Yeah. It's my, it's, it is the most trusted news source out there. And, uh, also their podcast is, is excellent. And if, you listen to their most recent episode, which by the time this airs will not be their most recent episode. Um, I don't remember which number it was. We'll link to it in the show notes. 17. 17. Yeah. In yeah. episode seven, 17. 17, instead of doing hate mail, they did love mail. And the very first one they read was mine. I was very happy about that. Um, it was so happy that you texted me. I am way behind. <laughs> We're still on episode 14. Nice. If you can believe that on that one, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was listening to the podcast and, uh, the way that this story goes, I'm getting way off trail, but it's all right. Um, <laughs> Edit it out yeah, later. maybe probably not, but yeah, they, uh, they were talking and they said, we're going to love mail this time. We're going to read some of our iTunes reviews. And I thought to myself, I should write them an iTunes review. Cause I really like this podcast. And they said, we really like this first one. It's by Brian Jimerson. And I was like, what <laughs> that would that would be me because I changed my my name to Brian Jimerson so I could pause so I could post a uh, review for the lightest form of flogging podcast and I forgot to change it back 
and uh, they read it, and it was it was something like um, they're fairly funny some of the time. It was something something like that. But the the story behind that one was I was talking with my wife, and she actually said it. She was like, <laughs> "Oh, so you're taking credit for something your wife said, huh?" We share a we share an Apple account. Um, mm, so she actually mm-hmm. uh, she actually posted the review. I told her you need to post that as a five star review because that was hilarious. It was a uh, oh, so you took the credit for your wife? Okay. Well, she okay. she posted it under my name, so she gave me the credit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was funny. She, it was like they're pretty funny most of the time, or they're fairly funny some of the time. It was it was great. They 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 liked it. Um, five stars. But anyway, so this Babylon B article. It's a Christian artist renounces faith now that Jesus has served his purpose of providing fame and fortune. <laughs> and uh, it says um, in Australia, so a Christian singer songwriter, Marty Sampson, and that, that's his actual name. Like we thought he was making someone up at first. And then we were doing research into it. Like, oh no, Marty Sampson's a real person who actually deconverted. <laughs> and that's who John Cooper was talking about. Um, so Marty Sampson renounced his faith. The moment Jesus has served his purpose of providing him fame and fortune. And a, a quote is, uh, now that being a Christian songwriter has made me rich and famous, I'm not really sure what the purpose of Jesus serves anymore, Samson said, as he picked through a bowl of M&Ms backstage, making sure there are no brown ones. Uh, classic. classic. Uh, so I just uh, so I just let him know that he was cut from the team. No need to carry around that Christian baggage. Uh, it goes on. It talks about there's going to be a multi-million dollar documentary book and reflective solo album titled uh, "What a Beautiful Fame," which is which, what a beautiful, beautiful fame, fame is. Yeah, which is a yeah. what a beautiful name is an actual Hillsong song. Um, then it then it says at publishing time, Samson has uh, clarified that he wasn't walking away from the faith just yet. As his agent had informed him, uh, there was still a little bit of money to be made off of believers before he goes fully secular. Um, and so that was kind of nodding to the fact that he almost immediately took down his Instagram post after he deconverted and then he like erased it like two days later. Um, yeah, people are going to be burned my records. Wait a minute. I should have thought this through. Right. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know either. Um on a completely like 180 degree note, um, Kanye is now mm. apparently a gospel singer, and according to the B- yeah, and according to the B, we know that his conversion is true because he has uh, he has, is only making mediocre music now, um, <laughs> and so uh, so we we. What do you think about that? I mean, I. I, I think I smell wait and see. I smell a deconversion coming. Um, what do you see as more credible? Benny Hinn giving up the prosperity gospel or Kanye West becoming a true born again Christian? I find them both uh, false. Um, really? I do. Benny Hinn. Okay. Benny Hinn has apparently like repented multiple times throughout his career. He also mm. he also did it like live on stage in his giant chair, you know, still making money from the, that particular speech. Uh, I think that he just tries to get people to, you know, look at him every once in a while. I mean, I could be completely wrong. Like, I hope he has repented. His nephew 
uh, doubts it. Um, many of the people close around him just said, let's wait and see, but probably not. Um, mm. And I'd say that Kanye, it's probably like, who is the, who is the folk writer? Was it, wasn't Bob Dylan, was it? Who conver- Yeah, Bob, Bob Dylan, Dylan. Who converted, did three Christian albums and then went back to, to his old stuff. I'm pretty sure that was. Yeah. I mean. And so, uh, you know, I. Elvis had gospel records. Yeah, Elvis had gospel records. I mean, uh, Jimmy Lee Lewis or Jerry Lee Lewis had gospel stuff. Um, you know, Johnny Cash was the only one who I believe was a true born again believer because he endured after his conversion. Um, and he has, he has a beautiful uh, story. Um, you know, could Kanye be a, well, be a Christian? Sure. Could Justin Bieber be a Christian? Sure. You know, I, I, I tend to think that, uh, that Chris Pratt is probably, you know, closer to a genuine Christian on than uh, either of them. But again, this is why the Bible says, you know, don't judge lest you be judged. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, we aren't, we can't see into the hearts of men. We can see their fruit. And I, I don't watch Kanye close. So I haven't seen, I haven't seen fruit of his, good or bad since the time he got drunk and went up on stage and said that Beyonce should have won instead of Taylor Swift, even though Beyonce wasn't even up for it. Um, that was Kanye, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, it was a little while. A little, I'm yeah. going to let you finish. No, no, that's, yeah. yeah. That's all I was going to say. It was that's, that's, uh, that was the last time I actually paid attention to Kanye that in the time oh, that well, like, I think someone I think, uh, what was it? One of the Kardashians like punched him in an elevator because he was probably being wise or something. I don't know. I don't. Fo- I, don't I have no clue. Man. I don't follow. But I will say that I I am very hopeful, and I yeah, that's uh, I, I'm I'm hopeful for he and his family. Um, that would be that would be amazing. And uh, and there was something else that I, I wanted to say about deconversions, this is probably the kind of wrap up this particular section. And at the risk of sounding incredibly cold and, uh, and just at the risk of offending people, I just got to chill. Right. I kind of hope that we see more deconversion stories in the future. Um, and I hope that we see them, um, quickly. I hope that they are public uh, and the reason why is because these people that are deconverting aren't actually Christians right now. And many of them are writing the music that we are currently singing in church. And I would just rather anyone who is not actually a Christian figure that out and stop writing the words that true Christians are trying to use to praise their God. And, uh, and, that and help open the eyes of the church to see just how far it has gone. Um, now more than that, I hope to see true conversions from within these songwriting communities. Like what if the Marty Sampson narrative was instead of deconverting, what if he was like, guys, I have been so convicted by the Holy spirit. 
I realize I am not a Christian and I desperately want to be. And what if he was able to have a genuine conversion experience from within you know, the Christian community? And that opens the eyes of the people to say, wow, there are people that aren't Christians. We need to be more vigilant and we need to have you know, better discipleship so that we can, you know, keep people like him from writing music that we're singing, but also that we can help people like him to see that they need Jesus and to help them through their walk. Um, I, I hope far and above to see any of those type of stories, but um, I am, I, I am excited to hear conversion stories from outside of the faith. Like, if Kanye is truly a Christian, that would be amazing. Uh, he's, 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 I don't know. He's made some really weird publicity decisions lately. Like being an avid Trump supporter was, uh, just very, um, unexpected. And, uh, and so that was, I feel like this is just another unexpected publicity stunt, but, that's only because that's the, that's the only fruit that I know of him in general as a person is someone who makes unexpected publicity stunts, but hopefully he, hopefully it's real. And hopefully Marty Sampson took his stuff down because someone approached him and told him who Jesus was and that he is going through, you know, that walk and he's turning back to Jesus and that he is trying to figure out how to figure, how to, truly follow him. I mean, that would be something I would really hope. And, you know, I still hope that Joshua Harris comes back. It would be an amazing prodigal son story. You know, what if he came back? What if he, you know, realized that the pig slop he's now going to be ingesting isn't worth his time when he can come back to the father and, you know, receive the robe and the ring and the sandals and the fatted calf. You know, it's, uh, we all long for everyone to be saved. And, and I do hope to see some amazing conversion stories. But the fact that Marty Sampson, who right now says, I don't think I'm a Christian, yet he's been writing music that people in our church have been singing to God. You know, how does that make you feel? I can see why we're concerned. Like that Mm -hmm. makes total sense to me. However, I think unless we become, you know, exclusive solemnity, we're always going to have this problem of people who are not inspired writing uh, Christian music. Yeah. And our friend David, I'm sure will be able to point us to everything. I, I, I don't know if you're thinking about this segment too, but they did a segment on uh, lightest form of flogging where they're like uh, orthodox or nah. Yeah. And uh, Jim put him up to this, which he should have known. Any sane person could see this coming. Yeah, he should have known. But yeah, like everybody that he picked, of course, was not orthodox. And yet we sing their songs week in and week out. Um, but there were, well, some people do. The, they were all hymn writers, which apparently that's not cool unless you're one of like the three hymns that uh, have been, you know, renamed and or rewritten for today's generation. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know some of those. Yeah, we we can't know the hearts of men. That is something that is absolutely true. 
Like one of the songs on Orthodox or not was uh, It Is Well. And Horatio Spafford, um, he spent the, his last days creating a cult that moved to Jerusalem in hopes that Jesus would come back. And and it was it was just bizarre. But he was also a completely broken man after having lost everything. And, uh, and so it's, that's one of those things. It's very hard to know. Was he a genuine Christian who just broke down at the end? Or was he not a Christian the whole time? We don't, we can't know. Um, and, and like you said, uh, unless we're going to become exclusive psalmody, we will never be able to know without a shadow of a doubt if the writer of the song was legit or not, because, you know, look at Marty Sampson, look at, uh, you know, how many, well, how many people have read uh, uh, the, I kissed dating goodbye and went to true love weights conferences. And uh, how many people have a good, healthy marriage now because they remain pure as youth due to that book. There's probably a good handful. But that doesn't mean that what they were given was exactly the truth. Yeah, I guess sort of what I'm getting at is, can we take the song on its own terms Mm. and hold that up to scripture, uh, irregardless of the songwriter? Or must we always consider the songwriter as a piece of that? And that, I would say, is where I struggle with the most is how important is the piece of the songwriter. Um, I go back and forth on that one. And I think it should be uh, considered. But, you know, if Marty Sampson has something that you can hold up to scripture and is spotless, then I would say that it's probably fine. I couldn't tell you any one song that he personally wrote because I don't go through and check out, check every single writing credit on all of the songs um what's wrong with you i thought you were a uh, podcast host i know right but um yeah that's is something that there may be songs out there that are fine you know there's songs out there that i've written that aren't fine that i've had to go back and either rewrite or throw out because i was being influenced by something that was less than the gospel when i wrote it um and there are songs um you know, there are songs that have been recorded by people that absolutely aren't legitimate, that the song itself may have been recorded very well. Uh, an example, there was a Christmas album that came out several years back by the band Bad Christian, um, who they are incredible atheists that think the church is evil. And they did a Christmas album that was all gospel centered music, except for little drummer boy. And there's one other song, uh, maybe like white Christmas or something. I don't remember that weren't faith based, but the other ones were faith based and they pursued excellence in their recording of it. And in so doing literally spread the gospel to their fans because those songs were full of the gospel message that they were singing ironically, but they were proclaiming with excellence. And so that's, very, very odd situation where uh, the either the writer or the carrier, you know, may be a donkey, but the voice of the Lord can still speak through it. And um, 
So that's definitely something to be considered, but it's also something that I still take into deep consideration whenever I'm looking at a song. If I can, if I look at the song and I kind of know where they're coming from, it at least makes me more hesitant to, uh, to use it. If I think that it could be misleading someone based on who's writing it. Uh, an example would be if a semi-Pelagian writes a song where they redefine a word that uh, that when they're using it, they're talking about a workspace salvation. But when you look at it at its face value, it's talking it's it's legitimate. What happens if the if you use that song and then someone goes and looks that band up and looks at more of their stuff or looks at what they believe and thinks that I am putting my stamp of approval on their ministry? because I used a song that ultimately wasn't good. That's, those are the, the questions that we ask. And uh, they may be fair, they may not be fair, but that's why I struggle with it. Well, that makes it difficult because when somebody, say, deconverts, what do you do then? Right. Maybe they're, everything leading up to it was completely orthodox, but then there is something that happens and they turn. What do you do? Yeah. And, um, and we will actually be doing an entire episode on deconversion in like a year, year and a half, something along those lines. It's going to be in season two, but uh, there was a guy, Dustin Kinsrew. He was the lead singer of a band called the modern post. He is also the lead singer of a band called thrice. And, um, he was one of the Mars Hill worship guys in Seattle. And when, um, when uh, Mark Driscoll kind of fell from the faith, uh, he, uh, Dustin Kendrew walked. He just, he, he wrestled with the doctrine of inerrancy and he just couldn't make heads or tails of it anymore. And so he basically is of the belief now that the Bible is errant, containing error and um, he doesn't believe it anymore. Uh, I think he still might consider himself to be a Christian, but an incredibly liberal one that isn't that doesn't look like it's not even he's not an evangelical Christian anymore. Um, but his music, so, yeah, he feels like he can re- redefine the Bible, yeah, to suit himself. But his music from the Modern Post is excellent. They only had one album. Um, but it was so excellent. It's one of my favorite worship albums because the songs are just so raw and personal and they tell my story and uh, they are so gospel heavy and they are, uh, they paint an accurate picture of who God is. But what do we do with that? You know, I know that, you know, we, we sing uh, one of his songs called my one comfort, which is actually from the Heidelberg catechism. Um, and it's, you know, my one comfort both in life and death is that I am not my own. Uh, I've been bought with blood and I confess I belong to you alone. And, you know, this, this deep gospel, rich truth, I, I struggle with now. When, every time we sing it, I just, I pray for Dustin Kendry every time we sing that song. And, uh, and so that's, it, it's tough. It, it really is tough. How do you deal with deconversion and how do you, uh, what do you do with those songs? But we have, 
gone a lot further into this conversation <laughs> than anticipated. We uh, are going to talk about deconversion again later, and we can bring all this stuff back up. But uh, stay tuned, folks. Stay tuned, folks. Uh, but it, since it is going to be so long, I, I didn't have any. I didn't have any problem uh, going no, this long into and it. And honestly, I uh, if you all have something to add to this conversation about how we can think about the writer and the content uh, and the relationship between those two, please stop by our Slack channel, uh, generously hosted by the good folks at Tech Reformation. You can get there by going to slack.techreformation.com, drop in your email address, and they will send you a uh, subscribe link um, and you'll be able to join us there on our channel that was the end of our candid conversation about deconversion and about celebrity conversion uh, remember to join us next week as we continue our outline conversation uh, as we look at the six kind of lenses that i look through when i am listening to a song um, and I, I do hope that that conversation is, is helpful for you as well. Do remember to join us at uh, slack.techreformation.com. Uh, we do have our own channel there, uh, graciously hosted by the guys at Tech Reformation. Just look for hashtag balm-in-gilead to join that conversation. We do hope to see you there. We do hope to see you again next week. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin sick soul. To never feel discouraged, for Jesus is your friend. For listening to the Balm and Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at there is at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balm and Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback. So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.